If you're able to culture hack and make your team feel loved, valued, connected, um, appreciated, like they are the key to today's aging population, and if they are consistently fed the value that they have, that their work has, and it's authentic, you don't have to worry about those. It won't come up and they'll say verbatim to other, yeah, but I love my job. You have people that will delay getting um, higher level education because that would mean I have to leave my work and I really love what I do. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live recording of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that discusses and deals head-on with real issues facing the nursing home industry. In today's episode, we are going to discuss something that we've discussed in the past, uh, something that is very, very real to nursing home administrators, operators, directors of nursing, and that is the nursing home staffing challenge, the staffing shortage and everything that comes with it. So my guest on today's episode is Sarah Wells. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Dropstat. They are combating clinical staffing shortages, burnout, rising cost of care through their solution, Dropstat. Sarah, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and thank you for um, making this topic a priority. Yes, this topic is a priority, not just for the podcast, but for anyone willing to either manage a nursing home or send a loved one to a nursing home because you definitely want to make sure that somebody sent there um, is well cared for. So just uh, my listeners know, but they know about me a little bit, but if you don't mind giving the 30 second overview of how you got to doing what you're doing today so that we can learn a little bit more about you before we jump into this. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm a 12 year critical care trauma nurse, um, spent years kind of, you know, on the, uh, on the acute side, on the hospital side, walking through $20 million lobbies and $3 million, $4 million gardens, and then being told consistently that we don't have a budget for staffing um, or safe staffing, um, which is really what we call the appropriate staff to patient ratio, um, and saw how it was directly impacting not just our care and quality outcomes, meaning uh, obviously, I can't be resuscitating with, with the team in one room and catching early stroke symptoms and or complications of uh, fairly routine surgeries in another room. So it was having impacts on our patient outcomes. Um, Notice that it was also having an impact on our revenue. Obviously, you can't admit if you don't have enough staff and, and not, God forbid, to refer to patients as revenue. But that is how, you know, healthcare facilities make, make their money by um, admitting and caring for patients. So, um, worked my way up to kind of figure out like why was there this disconnect where our product is patient care and yet we seem to not be able to afford patient care but that is the product right that's why any of us have jobs in healthcare mm -hmm. and that the um the process that the 
uh, systems that we were using, the workforce management systems were incredibly archaic. You know, essentially, if you think about it, we're using gamma knife surgery on the eighth floor and minimally invasive robotics on the third. And I'm calling and texting staff to come in like it's 1950. And um, realized that, you know, I had a tech background, I was a bit of a tech nerd prior to that, and realized that this is a scalable solution and required some, you know, improvements on the technology. And uh, realized that once we got in that we were able to self save uh, a whole lot more than expected. I, I did my own R&D in this space, by the way, I started picking up shifts in senior care and outpatient surgeries and saw that this was really a comprehensive issue with a huge addressable market. So it was not just an acute problem, but obviously, as discussed, this is an issue that affects nursing homes. And this is pre COVID. Obviously, it's gotten a lot worse since then. Well, so you're not just a tech person who's like, let's throw technology at a problem and see if it sticks. You're kind of really marrying both of your interests together. Um, you know, something that's very meaningful, something that you've experienced. I will tell you as a nursing home person, our, um, you know, the way we, our perspective on acute care is that you guys have all the cool gadgets and you have the resources to do what you need to do, um, including staffing, which is a challenge, but nothing close to what goes on in nursing homes. But it's actually surprising to hear that it's as challenging as you described. Um, and by the way, there was no texting in 1950. Calling. <laughs> messenger, <laughs> messenger, bird, whatever it is. We used to. <laughs> right, but the point is, it, 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 is, it, is uh, it is ironic, and it should be one of the most important parts of, of the business. And I will tell you that when I talk to uh, my team, and especially the clinicians, I make sure to tell them that we're in the business of providing care. It's a business and providing care, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the more money we, we, we make, it's an indication of the good care we're providing. And it also facilitates us to continue providing that and even higher levels of care. So this is something that clinicians get very nervous when we start talking about money. And it really, it really is in their best interest, meaning nurses, hopefully good nurses become nurses because they care. Um, if we're making money, then they'll be able to care. The verb care, they'll be able to provide care in the even better way. So, so let's talk about it. You're right. You mentioned that this is even before COVID. Uh, what have you seen that COVID has done uh, to the staffing challenge? Well, uh, like you said, you know, there's always this, there's the business side of medicine and then there's the, the care delivery side of medicine. And in and, and healthcare, we really are perceived as rival games, you know, where we're looking out for the best interest of the patient. And we perceive that the business management team um, is viewing us as a cost and not as a revenue driver, especially in nursing. And, and that's, that's a really problematic on, on many different levels, because if you think about it, the tech version of nursing is your client success team. But we're not always perceived as the client success team in healthcare, right? We're sometimes we're just, uh, we're a cost, whereas even physicians are perceived as revenue drivers, right? They're bringing patients from their clinics. Some, some physicians are bringing millions of dollars to the hospital. So, um, nurses have this have a very difficult time um, justifying the cost of increased care, but we know and we see firsthand how that directly impacts um, the length of stay, which is not always covered by insurance, right? If there's complications, that's completely covered by the facility. Um, so there's many areas in which, you know, nurses are not thought of as revenue drivers, but they very much are. And if you speak to anyone who's had a baby, who's had a unfortunately, on the other side of the life spectrum, who's had a death in the family, they will tell you 
what their experience was like with the nurses, but the nurses were either amazing or it was awful. And awful is usually going to come down to unsafe ratios where they're just completely overwhelmed with double the amount of um, double the amount of uh, patients that they're safely able to care for. And, um, and if it was amazing, very often it could be the same nurse, but they just were completely over, you know, understaffed one day and they were safely staffed another day. So in terms of the business management, we need, there needs to be a lot of healing done, um, you know, in terms of that relationship. Um, and in terms of the, the physician side also, we, you know, we're seeing a lot of increased pressure um, on the physicians where we weren't before. You know, you can't really run two surgeries at the same time. So in some ways, they're a little bit protected from that. But the, the pressure to see twice the amount of uh, patients to make up for the decrease in reimbursement, I think, is probably being felt across the board. So to answer your question, though, um, where do I think that this has gotten worse? You know, we always had these issues before. This was a problem before COVID. You know, I stepped back to start doing the R&D on drops that actually before COVID, we had issues with safe staffing ratios, et cetera. Now, the impacts on acute care facilities are bad. I think the impacts on nursing homes are catastrophic, and I'll qualify that. Um, we lost 500,000 nurses to COVID fatigue where we knew that we had issues with um, staffing and reimbursement and how that plays into how we structure our care. Um, imagine that you have an issue with a conveyor belt and you're able to take out kind of the things that are problematic from your conveyor belt on quality control, from a quality mm -hmm. control perspective. But now if you put that on warp speed, you're you're going to see a whole lot more problems, right? And that's really what COVID did to us. It took this conveyor belt of care that we had, which had issues before, and it fast-tracked everything. So what we saw was that in a desperate need to meet the, the patient demand and the increased flex in, in census in certain parts of the, of the country, we watched uh, companies that had... Uh, that were kind of new into this space, let's say travel nursing companies and uh, outsourced labor companies, lure staff away from their traditional bedside models to these much higher paying jobs to meet demand need and offering $10,000, $12,000, $15,000 jobs. Essentially, um, I hate to say it's like the, the nursing home version of colonialism had you know, hit, hit all of us. And, and what that happened, what, what happened was that you have a resource that was kind of working, it had problems. But now when you take away the team structure, and now you're offering them a lot more money and selling back essentially, those staff members who we, it was just a procurement problem, right? If those healthcare organizations had perhaps offered a little bit less, they would have still been able to fill those needs. But essentially, it was a diet pill that was never meant to be permanent. Right. And what happened was that now that you've taken the supply away from the healthcare systems and you've put these um, the the travel nursing companies in the driver's seat, it had a really, really bad impact on the team and the integrity of the team in the hospital and in, in, in nursing homes, too, um, from a bedside care perspective, because now you have your internal staff working side by side with people that are making not two times or three times their pay four to five times their pay. Now, I understand that that was necessary in order to fill quota, but there's no reason for that internal in-house staff member to stay now right? Because they can do the same job that they love, take care of the people they love, they'll just join that other, the travel staffing company, 
and often come back to the same organization that they worked at, at two to three times the price. So that's one problem where now it's really hard once you get hooked onto, excuse the expression, I am a trauma nurse. They got hooked onto this cocaine where they were able to get staff quick and easy, but it wasn't cheap. And it cost them the integrity of their own teams, right? So now they've disempowered themselves. And it's really hard to get that back now because here's what the nurses really liked about travel care. They like not having to do the hours and hours of additional, you know, CEs and, and you know, uh, having micromanagers that perhaps were intended to be inspirational leaders, but often organization organizations don't hire the best managers. And once they got pulled away from that relationship, they were like, wow, this is total bliss and freedom. They don't have to put up with, excuse the expression, the BS of working in-house. And that's exactly the words that they'll use if you speak to travel nurses. Why don't you want to go back to bedside? Why don't you want to go back to just staying in-house and having a permanent job? Isn't it more consistent? Isn't it more predictable? They'll tell you, I don't want to have to put up with that. Um, there's a lot of like micromanaging and a lot of oversight that they don't have when they work, you know, these, these, th these travel jobs. And that really disempowered the healthcare organizations and it put them in a very, very difficult place to try to, to meet the costs of the, the temporary labor, which was now luring their own staff away to other parts of the country. Um, mm -hmm. And where this was vaguely an issue before, now the nurses that had stayed in hotels to ensure that they could take care of their own patients safely and not put their families at risk. These nurses who were incredibly loyal are now getting paid less. Um, they're having morale issues. They risked everything to stay. They didn't leave. And they then had their vacation time, their PTO and their standard salary um, increases you know, cut from 4% to about 2% in many organizations. So they're already feeling hurt, belittled, disempowered, betrayed. And now they had a lot of their benefits cut so that the organization can afford the astronomical cost of care, which became, you know, you know, the, the rapid inflation of travel and temporary staffing. So that was problem number one that hit um, with COVID concurrently having nothing to do with COVID, but obviously um, this is an issue where, you know, healthcare needs to take a good solid at itself. We've never had these many outlets away from bedside, right? Traditionally, nurses worked in hospitals, nursing homes, um, urgent care clinics. Well, when payers decided that they could get a mid-level for half the cost of a physician, uh, nurses started to have a lot more autonomy in their workplaces and say, why am I putting up with this with if, you know, I can go back to school for one year and make two times my salary and just have regular hours and not have to work night shifts and not have to do, you know, a really rough 12 hours, um, more mental care than manual labor care. Um, and then we have, you know, med spas and there's so many different things that have just hit the market recently kind of they converged with covid right so covid created a huge wage inflation in terms of temporary staffing and, and luring staff away from the traditional bedside models but we also had this issue concurrently where we never had these many outlets away and options outside of bedside and what that does to the the um 
the pool of staff available to work bedside, obviously, is it dramatically decreases the number available, um, the number willing to stay and willing to stay with traditional models at the same time that they have a lot more options and opportunities that they just never had. So I guess that's part one. There's so much. Yeah. Yes. So first of all, thank you. Um, you've you've extremely very very eloquently uh, described the problem. Uh, this is the problem that I am living. Um, I'm currently a nursing home administrator, and the building that I'm in, I guess we'll even uh, name we won't name it for now. But the point is that they've been using agency staff, travel staff, all these other types of solutions forever, and exactly how you described, we have our own staff who have been paid. Minimally, the slight increases, but not, nothing close to the people that they're working. Literally, they're sharing assignments with people who are making way more money than them. These other people are not on call. When there's, uh, when there's a call out, they're not the ones who are getting harassed. They are not the ones, granted, they don't have some of the facility benefits. Most of them either have another job or they have a significant other that has a job. We get the benefits elsewhere, or they don't need it. They can afford to pay themselves because of the money that they're making and they prefer the flexibility that they have to the point that the internal staff, they try to, I guess, emulate some of those perks, even though they're not given to them. So I'm going to call out because I'm in the mood because it's sunny and I want to go to the beach. And even though in the good old days, that's voluntary uh, resignation and to a voluntary termination, but now what are you going to do? You're not going to call me back for a shift. You need me tonight. And you better give me a raise, otherwise, uh, you know, I can tell 100 people and will introduce themselves to me. Hi, my name is Sally. I need a raise. I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. Maybe you need to be fired. I don't know who you are. You know, that, that's, but it just is, it breeds the sense of entitlement. And like you said, these are some of the finest human beings on the planet. And I'm not exaggerating at all. These are people like you described. They've been, they've literally put their lives at risk besides for regular nurses who do that all the time. But through COVID, they, these people have worked 24 hours straight, 36 hours straight like they shouldn't have been, sleeping in empty resident beds or on the floor or wherever it is, not getting paid crazy money. The healthcare heroes thing only goes so far because for the most part, it's lip service, um, but it does not give them any benefits. Um, okay. It's it makes us feel a little bit better when they're doing the stuff that the rest of society would never do. But at the end of the day for them, sometimes it's even hurtful. Um, and they're, they're disempowered in a way. Um, and also the facilities are sometimes many times feel extremely desperate that either you're paying astronomical fees for these agency staff. And I will add that, you know, not all agency staff are, are created equally. Um, but, but many times the agency staff that come in, don't care. Sometimes they're the, the money chasers and they're just looking for where they can get the most money and they're not documenting. And when things happen, they're not sharing falls and skin issues and pain and all sorts of other things. And they're not passing, they're not doing the basics of their job. And that further escalates the friction between the agency staff and the in-house staff. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, 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 that makes it even more difficult. There is a silver lining, I can tell you, but um, because the moment you take back control and you're not scared of losing the couple of people who are going to say, you know what, you know, there's a sheriff back in the house and we're running off. Some of them will. But the moment that you, you show them that it doesn't matter how desperate we are, we're still going to run this like an efficient organization. 
And we're going to have rules here. And you guys are going to be out for each other instead of stabbing each other in the back. And we're not going to have one CNA on the shift when there really should be two or three or four. And we're not going to have people staying for doubles and triples when they shouldn't be. Right. Instead of disempowering them and sending people flying, I can tell you from firsthand experience, um, it's the opposite effect. People are like, where were you until now? Right. Uh, You know, you know, finally taking the power back. So what what do you think? So we we understand that it's a bleak situation. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think you have two unique issues that. Um, you know, where we said that it's bad on the, on the acute side, it's it's catastrophic on the nursing home side. What we're seeing with our clients is that, um, so we service hospitals and, and nursing homes. And so what we're seeing is that magnet status hospitals, where uh, that's kind of the gold standard label, label that is allocated to healthcare facilities that have, you know, great retention and great staffing. So it used to be that the, the entry uh, level for nurses in magnet hospitals where there's quote unquote nursing excellence is BSN prepared nurses. After COVID, we watched that drop to RNs and then we watched it drop to LPNs where traditionally those pools of staff were allocated to nursing homes. So their nursing homes were protected. Well, now you have healthcare systems with much deeper pockets additionally luring your staff away. And this is converging at the same time with boomers having, I honestly think that their impact has not even been felt yet because there's a lot of medications that many of them are on that are putting a lot of comorbid issues at bay. Nursing home patients have never been this sick. Traditionally, um, you know, there wasn't a home care model that was used to take your stable patients. Well, now that there is one, um, patients in nursing homes are sicker and their pool is getting smaller and smaller. So I feel like these are the good old days of staffing. And I hate to say that because I know that this has a direct impact on you. But if we look at the fact that there's also 1 million nurses aging out of bedside care, the median age of the nurse, if you look at that, we're looking at losing 38% of our nursing staffing pool mm-hmm. the next mm-hmm. year. So this is not yeah. really going to get better. I think that I completely agree. I think that people like to feel safe in their workspaces and they like to feel like their standards and that somebody cares about their patients like they do. And when you're advocating for safe patient care by disallowing staff who come in late and don't document and don't provide um, care, I think there's nothing more critical um, for your nurses that are loyal and that are, are good. It won't keep it won't keep people there who are not invested, but it, I think it absolutely will keep the ones that you want to be there. And I think that that's what keeps people going. Because if you think about it, they could go right now and get a job at a Starbucks for about the same price and just make macchiatos all day. But they chose to be in one of the toughest um, you know, areas of healthcare where they're doing a lot of manual labor for people who are slowly deteriorating and you do create connections with your residents and it's very difficult to lose, you know, residents and to see people deteriorate and they put themselves in that line of fire every single day. And those are the people that you want to keep. And those are the people who are not going to respect you if you don't care about what they care about. And that is patient care. 
This is true. I mean, this is a question that always bothered me from the second I got into this industry, is that why would somebody be a CNA getting paid sometimes less than what they could get paid at, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, at least in Massachusetts, down the block, or whatever, some other fast food chain, and they can, uh, and over there, the worst case scenario is that you burnt somebody's bagel, you spilled somebody's coffee. Over here, you didn't provide the proper care, this person got a wound and died, they lost their toe. And why why would you do this to begin with? I believe strongly that there's two groups of people. There are the people who, um, the good people, I guess, who the reason why they do is because they don't want to provide people with, with delicious breakfast. They want to make a real difference. Not that there's something wrong with being in the in the retail food industry, but they want to do something much deeper, much more meaningful. And they want to keep people alive and keep, keep people healthy. And it's a calling. And they, don't, they prefer to make as much money as they can, but they don't want to go there. There's another group, and I'm oversimplifying this, and these are the people who really don't care about if the patient loses a toe, to them it's the same thing as burning a bagel. And those are the, and I, I've seen these people, and unfortunately, these are the people you don't want in your organization. You really, really don't. And these are the people who are literally dangerous to, uh, to the patients. Sometimes, though, they'll be very, you know, the they will pick up a lot of shifts, unfortunately. And that's when sometimes you have a lot of, a lot of these issues. But, um, but, but this is really true. Some of the fine, I, you know, I really say this, that some of the finest human beings are sitting LPNs, CNAs, they're working crazy hours, they have families, some of them are single parents, they're trying to put their kids through college, they're doing amazing things, and they're the ones who are going to make sure that the extra touches, extra lotion that is not on the treatment plan is done just because this is how Betty likes it done and her hair is combed a certain way. And those are, those are the people that really, really make that, you know, that exp- not just the experience of customer service standpoint, but even the care, it could make, it's literally make a difference of life and death. And, you know, those are the people that we want to retain in our organizations. Um, okay. And I know, you, you know, you mentioned clients. Um, tell us a little bit about how Dropstat, Dropstat got started. Sorry. Um, and, specifically how it addresses the issues that we're discussing. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, when we look around, we're seeing like, you know, we we mentioned before, and I I want to quantify that by saying that I I absolutely see tremendous value in what um, travel and temporary staff bring to the table when they are when they're good and engaged. I don't I don't see that going away anytime soon. But what we want to do at Dropstat is re-empower the healthcare organization. We see the most important relationship is the triad between the, the patient, the provider, and the organization that brings them together. So that is our absolute priority. So our entire model is completely focused on helping healthcare employers re-empower them and make sure that they have the tools that they need to automate workforce processes that were highly manual and not well-managed. Um, give them total transparent um, insight into their labor costs, whereas now it's kind of a, a black hole. Like you, you'll see that there was a bonus applied to a shift, but you don't know, um, well, did they try $25 less two days earlier? Um, we're always short Mondays 7 to 11. How come we're acting surprised the night before and we added $200 bonus, right? So there's a lot of kind of black holes 
of uh, the cost of care delivery. At drops that our vision statement is safe staffing. Obviously that means safe staff to patient ratios. When we talk about retention, there is nothing that will burn your team out faster than having an unsafe labor load and being accountable to the same standards of practice on their license and being um, legally and criminally um, in some cases responsible as we're seeing lately with some of some of the cases that are coming out often due to unsafe staffing. And, you know, if you speak to attorneys that are responsible for, you know, wrongful death lawsuits, a massive percentage of them all come down to unsafe staffing. So for us, we see safe staffing as the most critical starting block of um, everything that happens in terms of the cost and quality of care delivery. So our objective is to help healthcare organizations streamline their process, understand um, their staffing needs well in advance, right? So we're we're kind of, we think of ourselves as, as more like the sales force of workforce management rather than competing with existing workforce management products. We don't really see that as a, a competitor. We're looking more at a new category that we're looking to create called workforce automation. So what we do is we use machine learning and AI to predict your healthcare staffing needs 60, 60 days in advance. And we build you an internal marketplace where um, we're, you, we're tracking your metrics, your call out patterns, and you can see, well, Monday 7 to 11, we're typically chronically short by seven or eight. Um, that could be where all your call outs are, right? So you think you're safely staffed, but really that could be your most expensive shift. And that could be costing you more than unfilled shift gaps. Maybe it's easier to fill your Wednesday and Friday, right? So what we're able to do is trace the increased costs of, you know, where where are you paying your standard labor costs and where are you paying premium labor costs, whether it's agency overtime bonuses or sometimes a combination of the two of those, which is really, really kind of the, the kryptonite of, of healthcare staffing costs, right? So we, we create patterns and we feed them back to the client and we create recommendations. Obviously, as, as we're creating recommendations manually, we're training our AI models on that and that will become automatic. So... So we're in the horse and buggy days of what we're what we're really looking to do at Dropstat. So the first product we have is our ability to predict your staffing needs. And the next product is our obviously our schedule scheduling product where we're able to automate the um, publishing of those schedules. We don't really 2023. This is the age of facial recognition software. We don't need someone to click review and publish. Right. Um, so we automate that that process, we're able to show the upcharges on the day and where those drivers are coming from in a way that's union compliant. Um, sidebar, as a nurse, I know unions have a really bad name on the business management side, but I would not have gotten um, any break, <laughs> probably ever, um, if not for union protection in, you know, especially in busy places like ERs and traumas. And um, it really, I felt like it saved my ability to provide even safer care because you don't notice when you're taking care of your patients that you haven't eaten all day and you haven't, you know. So I have a lot of gratitude to the to the unions that protected me. And I'm, my apologies because I'm sure that there's horror stories both ways. But um, yeah, that, that, this is a whole separate conversation, maybe even another episode because I'm really curious about that. Yeah. Um, so in that we've created a union compliance system so that whether you're union or not, you can roll us out. Um, so we automate decision support. And that means that, you know, maybe Jessica is available from one of your other portfolio facilities. And so is Lisa in two hours of overtime. And you've also applied a bonus for anyone who's not in overtime. How do you make a cost efficient decision? So drops that just automates that again, in a way that's union compliant, um, and obviously, you know, the system self approves anyone who's not going to be in overtime. So there's automation. So far, there's no schedule involvement, right? You're just predicting yes, that's, your that's, that's, This you're is my question. Is, is, is the scheduler managing this or is this replacing the scheduler? 
well, not yet. So we're, this is where the scheduler involvement comes. It's, they're looking at the screen like they should be looking at the screen like air traffic control and they should be managing, you know, um, well, I'm going to use Jessica, who's an LPN for the CNA shift because I'm down a CNA. So that's the process that we want them to be still managing. Right. They have to look at their numbers and say, I have my eight hours minimum of RN care. This RN will work as an LPN. So as they're doing that again, our machine learning is tracing what they're doing and where you say, you know, we're creating more of an automated product that we're getting there. It's, we're not there yet. We don't have enough data to automate that yet. Um, meaning all the different inflections and decisions that are possible, but they're permutations. Uh, eventually the, the product will be able to do that, God willing. So um, we've also kind of automated safe staffing rewards. We're a partner now with Amazon. So we've created um, a rewards and retention program. Every time a scheduler approves someone who's not in overtime, um, they get they get points towards Amazon gift cards and it's de minimis. There's no tax issues. And on the staff side, every time they pick up an extra shift, we reward them and we shout out gratitude. We have a gratitude feed that's automated um, and it looks like it's organic coming from the admin and then they get safe staffing points as well. And the rewards program is something we're really proud of and we're expanding that as well um, in collaboration with Amazon. And, um, in terms of, you know, kind of the other bells and whistles that we have also coming, we have kind of a whole mental health platform that's being built out in collaboration with Bayer and a few other uh, products where we're able to track how staff feel after their shifts and, and kind of shuffle them into the right mental health products that will support them and support frontline healthcare staff. And these are not things that cost extra to the um, employer. And that's really important because right now, there's so much that's changing so quickly in healthcare. We don't want healthcare employers to have to be tasked with things that should be automated as well. This is not just automated, automating superfluous workflows on the scheduler side, um, but also on the business management side as well. You know, thanking staff members, shouting out gratitude for you know shifts worked on time, um, managing the of external labor you mentioned that you know you're having issues sometimes where i think it's standard across the board where there's issues with some external labor not documenting so we have quality controls on that where um external labor are rated on kind of objective metrics arrives on time leaves on time and um documents appropriately like there's there's other metrics where we quantify whether this is someone that you even want working in your organization and um, right now, I think our biggest priority is that we're integrating with a lot of um, temporary staffing marketplaces. And what that's going to provide us is that kind of source of truth, because do you want to talk about the issues that you're having right now with multiple? We call it solution confusion, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Where staff members yeah. now have the ability to clock in on multiple um, temporary staffing platforms, right? So they came yeah, in not, not at the same time. XRN and e-shift maybe offering more and then <laughs> they well i have a problem right now which uh, because this has not been monitored properly i noticed some of my own staff coming in through another system and you know so i called them and they, they're like well that shouldn't be happening they blocked them and now they won't see shifts from our facility and i called the staff member and said not okay you're yeah. you're they you work here as it actually was a part-time employee but you have a, a set schedule here this is your facility and you're going somewhere else just to make a little bit more money, you know, a little bit more money. So first of all, it's a horrible message to everybody else. That's not okay. But I, I want to just jump in on what you're saying. I'm just listening. This is not our first conversation about your product, and I'm trying to wrap my head around that 
I see just even before all the specifics that you're discussing, on a high level, administration many times makes good decisions about workforce management, does not have the bandwidth uh, to implement them. So for example, anytime somebody picked up extra shift, it's a no brainer to give them a small gift card and a thank you or whatever. But practically speaking, because of everything else that's going on, uh, regulatory compliance, I mean, we don't even have to get started with the myriad other issues. Staffing, even if staffing was fine, managing a nursing home is an extremely complex process. But so the ability to thank them properly is huge. Um, I, you know, I had someone, I hope she won't be mad at me if she listens to this, but we had someone who worked, um, hmm, I, I guess this is okay, but they, they, they were on for a double shift and then had to extend their stay um, and was not once or twice and was not happy about it. One of our best nurses and she resigned and, you know, we had an exit conversation to understand and all the things that, you know, that she pointed out was these were all the things that needed to be fixed. In the you know in the building that's why she was resigned this was her first job she loved the place made sense uh we hired her as a director of nurses and now she's solving some of those problems and trying to pull some of her own friends in i hope she's not mad at me for sharing that but the point is that um there's a lot of things that we want to, um, the point of that is that i knew that she was on for more than she should have been and it was on my mind to go and go over and, and thank her and give her something and i really express how much we appreciate because we were really stuck and she did things that most people have never done in their entire life in any, in any profession. It's, it's just because they have, you know, patients to care for, uh, but it's very difficult. So having that automated uh, small thank yous, small gifts, small little something, even if the staff are not stupid, they'll know some of it's automated, but it it works. The stuff really works. When you get that email from the store that you went to, um, it says, thank you for shopping here. It's your birthday. Take 5% off. They send it out for a reason because okay. there's a percentage that respond to that. Okay. So that's definitely uh, one big thing. The other piece, which I want to clarify, is that from a scheduling standpoint, um, if especially a bad scheduler or if you're really in a pinch, you're not looking at which agency is most expensive, who has overtime, who doesn't have overtime, who are the people who are their, their week one and week two shifts are messed up so that they have scheduled overtime one week and two few shifts you know, the other week that'll be a no-brainer to take this one and not take the next one. Does right. the system already have a feature of prioritizing yes. the one that's most cost-effective? Absolutely, I'm glad you asked. Um, not only do we have um, a feature that helps you prioritize that and see that, so we have the our, our automated decision support will let you see immediately what your most cost-efficient decision is, but you also have the ability to cue them and decide who gets the message, if at all. So you may want to wait a week before it goes to your most expensive agency, right? So um, you have the ability both when the messages go out as well as when, you know, when those staff members are approved. So um, yes, we do. We do have that capability. And, you know, running back to what you said before, we also automate exit interviews. So anywhere where we can send back data to the clinical employer, our goal is to help them kind of be their best friend in this fight. Um, to create a safer staffing environment. Um, we ask them all those critical questions. Did you feel safe reporting medication errors? Um, would you recommend a friend to go work in this facility? Would you, 
um, anything that you'd want to know as an employer so that you have better insight into why you may have been losing a staff member who, who's now going to cost you the, the replacement cost, obviously, when you're short staffed anyway, is essentially overtime for every shift that that staff member picked up because there isn't someone who's able to kind of pick that up at a standard labor cost. And then what is the sign on bonus that you're going to have to get someone to replace that person? Right. So um, sometimes the cost of churn could be higher for some organizations than even the cost of um you know, outsourced labor or bonuses or overtime. And what's really important is that we're able to get that data back to the employer. Um, again, eliminate kind of illuminating those those black holes of knowledge. Is it perhaps a manager? The cost of not being kind and not saying hello in this industry is something that really we can't afford to overlook anymore. Um, we need people that inspire people to be their best selves, encourage them through difficult situations and um, respect and empathize for the difficulties that you mentioned um, and the emotional toll of doing this job right. Well, well um, what about uh, wage analysis? You know, I get the staff come in and like everywhere else they're paying this. Yeah. And over here you guys are paying the least. And we already adjusted the rates. And I, I wonder if it's actually true. Um, so we actually have to go call each business office and make believe we're applying, or sometimes you just ask straight out, and sometimes they share, sometimes they don't share, sometimes they share the real numbers, sometimes they don't. And with our messy uh, spreadsheets, we can try to make a somewhat of an educated you know, decision is if the rate should be adjusted and how and when. Um, yes. do you, does the system have any data on that, and how does that work? Yeah, so we can. You know, we So we have full insight into what, the salaries are across multiple agencies and um, in your demographic area as well. But that's nothing that you don't have insight and into as well. Like you, you probably have access to that. We definitely have it, but I'm saying you probably have it too. Um, I would say, you know, you kind of touched on this a little bit before we need to start adopting kind of the, what, what the U S army has done. Right. Right. Um, a lot of the PTSD people experience when they leave, they most of the people there don't even have um, have not experienced the same death toll as we have in in healthcare, right? And there's a lot of PTSD when they leave, right? So imagine what what healthcare workers have to deal with on the regular that we don't acknowledge or support, right? Meaning we have a verified model that <clears throat> it is very difficult to see um, death and loss on a consistent basis. Now. What they've done right is built an entire culture of camaraderie. They have convinced you that you are brothers, that you're working in these trenches together, that there is nobody left behind. They have built an airtight family dynamic, which we often don't have in healthcare. And if you're able to do that, then you don't have to worry about the two, $3 raise. If you're able to culture hack, and make your team feel loved, valued, connected, um, appreciated, uh, like they are the key to today's aging population. And if they are consistently um, fed the value that they have, that their work has, and it's authentic, you don't have to worry about those it won't come up and they'll say verbatim to other. Yeah, but I love my job. You have people that will delay getting um, higher level education because that would mean I have to leave my work and I really love what I do. Right. So, 
either you're going to have to compete on wage or you're going to have to compete on culture. Yeah, I mean, the little caveat that you mentioned is critical. It has to be authentic. You can't fake it. Yeah. I mean, if you drive up what you asked originally, um, try to think of, you know, what can we do here um, with or without drop stat? And I, I thought to myself, perhaps one thing you don't want to do is, you know, if your staff follow you on social anywhere, um, I would say to leadership teams, be very cognizant of what you are sharing on social in that I'm so excited and that event or whatever, um, don't drive up in a Maserati where you you're telling your staff you can't afford a two dollar raise. They I'll leave it at you. home. They see the new house, they see the spend, they see the the disparity, and it's going to have the optics of not prioritizing patients. It's not even about them, it's about what they care about. You know, um, people align when when I when you care about what I care about, and believe it or not they really do care about those patients. So if we're going to say we can't afford um, a $3 raise, don't go make a $20,000 renovation on the lobby. Now, I, I get it from a business perspective. Maybe that's the marketing draw. Maybe that's, but then you need to communicate that, right? And um, the same goes for managing your healthcare staff. Like, you know, we tell our clients all the time where we have blinding algorithms on Dropstat where staff, if they're uh, scheduled to work, you know, Wednesday, 11 to seven, they won't see any other shifts 11 to seven. We don't want them canceling their shift and seeing a shift for the same time with a bonus. And then they're going to pick that up. Right. So we have a lot of those blinding algorithms, but they still don't fully understand it. How come this person's getting paid same job, same facility, one of our internal staff members. So it's all in how you bring them into these conversations because we don't want you understaffed. We're willing to pay more. Jessica has to cancel her plans and find a babysitter. This is not her standard shift. And she's working extra. There's a premium that we're going to have to pay for that. Okay. And we don't want you to be under. If you're fine with being short staffed, we won't pay Jessica. But we're bringing her in and we're having to pay more to help you. Right. So there has to be conversations about all of these things. The things that we do that seem um, intuitive are not intuitive. You have to explain it the way you have to explain to your kids. Just one more second and I'll stop talking. Um, when we look at medicine, right, and we look at who are, um, which children of doctors are going into medicine and are not, what they found was that the ones who say, oh my God, I have to, I'm on call, I can't, and they just make it sound awful, um, their kids don't go into medicine. But when they're like, dad's going out, mom's going out, saving a life, love you all, you're part of this, you have a role in this. I'm off and they come back and they're excited and they talk about the case and they talk about the save and they, their kids go into medicine. Right. So it's, we can't assume that because, you know, obviously we're building um, a nicer lobby for our patients' families and because we're spending more money on the TVs for our patients, we still have to make sure that we bring our staff into these conversations and that they understand that it's not that you're not worth as much as a TV. It's that, that's all this patient has right now. Right. This is true. And this is goes against the traditional management of nursing home staff. It's, it has usually been like that divider that, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the money stuff. You take care of the patients. 
and things, you know, like I said, you have to develop that culture. Part of that culture is a certain transparency. When, when you're open with them and you bring them into conversation, not because you, you know, you have to bring in a CNA into a coffee meeting because you have to check the box, but you actually care about what they have to say and you share with them, you know, they don't need to know everything, but they need to have a general understanding. Like what you said is a great example. I've had that where we did, you know, fancy renovations in a building where the staff wanted a raise. They always wanted a raise. I will also share another point is that I've done a wage analysis more than once in different facilities, um, determined that we were underpaying and we adjusted the wages. And some people got $5 an hour raises, $6 an hour raises. But I think the math is like every 50 cents is $1,000 a year. So these people got significant raises and they're, you know, these are hourly employees. There was zero difference in their job performance in their, in the, the culture didn't get better. Um, the complaints didn't lessen. Yeah. Throwing money at problems doesn't solve it. Agreed. Um, showing them that you care, whether it's financial or not, um, and actually caring and being there for them. And if they're stuck, being there for them, bringing them a coffee and, helping them actually deal with whatever challenge they're struggling with goes much, much further. They should be paid fairly. I've explained to a, a CNA, let's say, and they're like, I've been here for 30 years. I'm a great CNA. I want to get extra $10 an hour. I said, okay. And I also want to get paid like a celebrity. That's very nice, but you're providing a certain level. This is economics 101. A CNA at the end of the day is just a CNA taking a role. It's very important and it's amazing. Maybe you should become a lead CNA, which you became. Uh, and maybe there are things that we, you know, but for this value, this is how it works. You want to, you know, grow from there, you can grow from there. I, I'm seeing the time frame we went, we blew way past um, our deadline, but just because you're bringing such great content and just really what's going on um, in the trenches, using your yeah. example, I guess. Um, but if you want to, if we just want to wrap up here, we want to leave our listeners with um, a final thought about what they can do, um, you know, in order to cultivate the staff that will actually want to stay and bring their friends. Like, what would you say is something yeah. that we can do for that? You know, I think the most important thing um, is to listen to your nurses. That sounds so basic, but if they're saying that they're struggling with a manager, you could very well be getting gaslighted. What we see with our systems, once we have total transparency on the process, unfortunately, we have found fraud. And often it's with... Um, within schedulers and, and members of management teams um, where they're the most loved, right? Don't presume that because someone presents well to you that they're kind to their own staff, right? So, and I, I hate to bring that up because I- That's ugly. never wanted to be the IRS of, of like, you know, but once we have full full cost tracing, you know, we we see the red flag patterns and it's it's typically shocking right? It's never the person you thought it would be. It's always the person who's so nice and so, you know, and doing, doing the most. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say, listen to your nurses. That's going to get really expensive for you on the retention on a, on a churn level when you don't listen. Just, just assume that they're right. Investigate as if they're right, right? They may not be, but just investigate as if they're right. Um, I know, um, I know we had a case just, um, where we had a certain resident was taking a certain PRN medication only when a certain nurse was on Every single show the person was on, they had it to the max and never, ever any other time. And that was the first red flag that led down a, a not such a pretty path until we saw what was going on, was, you know, the drug diversion. So, yeah. but that's, that's only because we manually had some questions and happened to come upon, and this is all very manual, but I can imagine yeah. that if you have this data, 
you know, so transparent. You're gonna see, you're gonna see the truth, the good, bad, and the ugly. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then, you know, um, besides for, for listening, I would say um, be, be willing to change the way you've done things for years. Medicine is different. Healthcare is different now. Um, we've experienced a massive shift in, in how things happen and um, staff are more in the driver's seat now than ever. They have so many mm-hmm. different outlets Um you're, you're going to have to make the case to stay more compelling than you ever thought you would. So we're doing our best on that. Um, just to set expectations here, I want to clarify, drop set is not for everyone, for organizational teams that don't have good operational management. Um, we're not a diet pill. We're the great chef, the best chef, the best gym, um, and the best, you know, uh, personal trainer. But if you are, don't have the ability to implement and you don't have the ability to ensure that um, policies are properly managed, you're going to have a really tough time uh, these next five, 10 years having nothing to do with drop set. So we're, we are not the silver bullet. But when you have an engaged team and you are able to manage and you have someone internally who can be an internal champion, it's a great product to be able to kind of be your best friend in this fight. Um, And uh, I think we're going to have to have a lot more of these kinds of conversations where everybody comes to the table and just says, here's what's working because look, what's good for you. Um, You can't gatekeep now. Like this is all hands on deck. Everybody needs to help each other and um, things that can be automated at scale, um, like gratitude, like um, we have an event product that's that we're going to go live with soon where we can trace, okay, these facilities are doing great on retention and they have seven or eight internal events like your holiday parties, your potlucks in the break room. That contributes to great culture that lets people see each other in and out of work, not just in the high stress trenches, right? We have to see each other as people. We have to connect, you know, um, with our families and and provide context to the person that you're seeing just in a, in a, perhaps a tough environment. So um, I'm excited. I think there's a lot of positive changes coming too. Um, and this is an opportunity for us. This specific podcast is not just a conversation. It's an opportunity for people to come to the table and say, here's what working, what's working for us. And here's what, you know, what's likely to work for you and um, share and grow together. Amazing. Amazing. If somebody wants to learn more about Dropstat, they want to see if this is something that makes sense for them or their organizations. What's the best next step for them? Yeah, they can email us at info at dropstat.com or hit up any, any of our staff members on, on LinkedIn. Um, and we'll do an assessment and see how we could be helpful. Amazing. So Sarah, again, this is Sarah Well, CEO founder of Dropstat. At least I said it right this time. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the Nursing Home Podcast, sharing not just your background from Dropstab, but also as a nurse, kind of seeing both sides of the fence. A lot of, a lot of uh, conversations that can come out of this one. Specifically, I want to maybe touch base about the union conversation, but maybe we'll have to table that for another time. Yeah. But really, thank you so much for sharing um, all that information with our listeners. Thank you. Have a good one. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast 
and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.